So have you heard, I'm sure you have, of the famous or infamous guy by the name of Jack Daniels? His name appears on certain bottles of stuff. Do you know how he died? I'll tell you how he died. In 1911, Jack Daniels decided to go to work early, got there before his receptionist, his secretary, wanted to open the safe that's in his office, but couldn't remember the combination. So he got angry, and as hard as he could, he kicked that safe, busted his toe, got an infection, and died. The moral of the story, don't go to work early. (laughs) The real moral is, rage is a killer. And we actually know that much more since 1911. Because science has found when you erupt with that kind of rage, there's this concoction of chemicals that get released into your body, and they are destructive. Heart disease, cancer can be caused by it, high blood pressure, ulcers, you name it. The list of diseases that come from that is bad. It's a killer. So the worst part about anger, though, is not what it does to you, but anger is like a hand grenade. When you decide to pull that pin, yeah, it hurts you, but guess who else it hurts? Everyone around you. So there's a book by Stephen Polter, and it's called The Father Factor. And he tracked a bunch of people for a long time based on the temperament of their dad and how the echoes of a dad's temperament ripple out through that young adult's life. And he gives a bunch of them. One of them he calls the dad that's a time bomb. The dad that just kind of, you know, mellow, 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 and then at some point, boom, he explodes and gets raging in the home. They found kids with that kind of a dad ended up, not doing well in life, suffered from anxiety, depression, no confidence, moved from job to job to job, that the grenade that that dad decided to let go affected his kids for years and years and years and years. Rage. We're in this book called James. James is how to live a joy-wise life, and he talks about these things. So if you have your Bible, you can open to James chapter 1, and we'll read verses 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, 
put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. How many problems would verse 19 solve? How much death, pain, how many sin babies, as we talked about last week, are produced because of that? We don't do verse 19. Has anyone in here ever gotten into trouble because they didn't listen? Right? (laughs) Has anyone in here had their mouth cause them trouble? Has anyone ever lost their temper and now they're reaping the bad consequences of their temper? Right? I mean, this is amazing to me. I call it the terrible trio. No listening, blabbing, and then shouting. Now, there is a flow to James's thought process here. So if you remember this chapter, it begins with him saying, you've got some tough times, be happy because of what those tough times can produce. And then he says, but in tough times, you're going to need wisdom. So here's how you get wisdom from God. And then after that, he goes, but know this, know this. Some of your difficulty is because of you. You've been lured and enticed into sin, and that sin has produced bad stuff in your life. And don't blame God for it. It's a you problem. You caused this, right? Now he's saying, and here is a way to stop being an idiot and stop causing yourself lots of tough times. And that's verses 19, 20, and 21. How to stop being an idiot. So he says, number one, listen. Listen. Most of us plug our ears and open our mouths. James says, do the opposite. Open your ears and close your mouth. That's good wisdom. Does anybody in here, is anybody in here a bad listener? I better repeat that. Is anybody in here a bad listener? (laughs) Right? Does anyone in here have way too quick of a tongue where you say things that you shouldn't say? Have you ever been sitting there with your spouse and maybe the discussion level has gone from ground zero to nuclear, and you're in the midst of all this kind of nuclear feelings, and then a thought passes through your head, and there's a part of you that says, do not say that. And then you do say that? Anybody ever have that happen to you? What's the problem once you've said a word? You can never pull it back. Words are like this. Remember the ozone layer, how there's a hole in the ozone layer? It was being caused by CFCs and hairspray and stuff. Remember that? My childhood, like, damaged me. I was always worried about it. CFCs, you're killing the world. Well, 
what happened, the damage with the CFC was this. It would go up in the atmosphere and it would never go away, right? It would keep breaking down ozone. That it wouldn't get, it was, a, it was called a catalyst. That it was the platform that broke down ozone, but it would just stay there. That's what words do. Once the words are out, they're like a catalyst. They don't ever disappear. They keep on making more and more damage. Holes in your relationships. That's the problem with words. In a heated argument, I have never regretted something I did not say. But oh, how many things I have said that even to this day I just think, ah, oh, such a moron. This verse, verse 19. When I talk to men and their marriages, it's the number one piece of advice I give out. I just read James 1.19. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and you will be slow to anger. Number one advice. I say to men, listen to your wife. And usually then I have to tell them, here's how you actually listen to your wife. It means this, when her lips are moving, yours are not. And then when she is done talking, here's what you do. You say, honey, this is what I think you said. And you repeat back to her what you believe your wife just said. That does two things. It tells your wife, he's listening to me. And number two, it allows your wife to say, that is not what I said. And then tell you again what she actually said. I'm telling you, this will save a marriage. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. And then it says, number two, be slow to anger. Some of you are like, hey, number one's hard, but number two, take a miracle. Really? Slow to anger. Notice what it does not say. It doesn't say, don't ever be angry. Because anger is just emotional capital. That's all it is. And emotional capital, they're a gift from God. God gets angry. You can use anger for good or for bad, right? It's just an emotion. So like laughter, can laughter be good and can laughter be bad? Oh yeah, laughter can be great. Your buddies are on a table, you're eating some good food, you're remembering old stories, you're telling it, you're laughing until stuff comes out of your nose. Brilliant, right? But laughter can also be jabs at a coworker. Cruel thoughts, cruel words to somebody at the playground. It can be just, just as damaging, laughter can. That's anger. It can be good or bad. It can help or it can hurt, right? We get, we get angry Typically, because something we love is threatened. They're Siamese twins. Anger and love are Siamese twins. They're connected. I love Oregon State Beaver football. So I get angry when they're threatened. So I have a lot of anger issues right now. <laughs> right? It's, it's just, that's all, it's emotional capital. So here's what Ephesians says. Ephesians 4.26 puts it like this. Be angry. It's a command. And do not sin. Be angry. 
A few in here are like, there's one command I actually keep. Praise God. There are times that you and I should be angry. And to bottle it up and to keep it in actually is just as damaging. That we have to have proper, godly, correct releases. I have a study at home from many, many years ago. I kept it because it was so funny to me. And the study was titled, Spouses That Fight Live Longer. At that time, I was doing a ton of marriage counseling. And when I read that, I thought, there's a couple couples I know. They're going to live forever if this is true. They will never die. But the, the point of the study was this, that there is a right way to let these things out in the correct way, and it's actually healthy. That's what Ephesians 4.26 is saying. There's a way to be angry without actually sinning. So verse 19 is brilliant. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Open your ears and shut your mouth, and you probably won't lose your temper. Because when you lose your temper, what happens to you? When you express an emotion in the wrong way, what happens to that emotion? If I get angry and I start expressing my anger, do all of a sudden I feel like this shalom and this joy, this peace? No, I get angrier, right? It elevates whatever emotion you're expressing. It makes it higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And this is 2019. There's a lot of people that won't listen. They're going to tell you what they feel, and if you don't like what they're saying, they'll get angry and yell at you. Isn't that the way it is today? Like our culture is just reinforcing the polar opposite of verse 19. Don't listen to anyone that disagrees with you. Instead, shout at them until they will listen to what you're saying. That's 2019. And we have a very broken, broken culture right now. All right, so verse 19, like everybody knows this, right? Doesn't everybody know I should listen more I should talk less, and I shouldn't get angry so often. Like, everybody knows this. James is just stating the obvious. But knowing and doing are way different. So great. You've identified my issue. I need help. That's where verse 21 is awesome. Look what he says. Therefore, because of this, Because your anger and your lack of listening and your quick tongue, they're not helping God at all. Because of that, here's what you should do. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We participate in this thing. It's a a, cooperation. It's a joint exercise here. There's something that we have to do, but then there's this power as well. So we're supposed to do this, number one. We put away filthiness. The word filthiness, it's the Greek word riparian. Have you heard that word before? Like the riparian zone? 
It's, 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 it really means dirt, a certain kind of dirt that grows something. In this context, it's a certain kind of dirt that grows anger, lack of listening, and talking at the wrong time. There's a riparian zone in all of us that James says, you got to put it away. And the other word is wickedness or cacaeus, which just means evil. What James is saying is this, there is a way that we think and a way that we allow our mind to go that makes fertile soil for anger and not listening and saying words that are incorrect. People rename their anger so often, right? I'm not angry. I'm just sticking up for myself right now. I'm not angry, I just got hurt. No, you're angry. Name it. Or we play the victim so often. The bad so is, we'll play the victim. Well, he just gets me. She just gets me. They just get me. No. Anger's always an inside job. It's not outside. It's not your circumstances. That it's, they just lit the fuse that was already there. It's an inside job. And Ecclesiastes 7.9 just puts it like this. It says this, be not quick in your spirit to become angry. Like there is an ability in me to just let things go. Put fertile soil that just allows myself to, oh, I'm just going to let this thing go. So if it's in my spirit, then I better step back and start asking myself some questions. Why am I getting angry right now? What's happening in my spirit that's causing me? What is the soil underneath this that's growing this kind of anger? I think what you'll find is anger is always connected to something you love. Something you love has been threatened, and when it gets threatened, we get angry. Now, there can be a good anger. If my kids are threatened with evil or harm, There should rise up in me an anger at that. And that is a good, healthy anger. If there's injustice, there should be this good, healthy anger at injustice. That's good. But there's also bad anger. And sometimes I got to identify why. What is my spirit saying to me when I'm getting angry right now? Is it saying like, they can't treat me like that? Don't they know who I am? Ooh, be careful. If this gets out, it's going to ruin my reputation. So I'm going to get angry. Maybe you get angry because you're in a hurry all the time. You get stuck behind that car, right? You know this is you when your kids ask your wife, their mother, why is it that the idiot cars are always out when dad is driving. <laughs> Personal confession. And normally it's really because I plan poorly. And then I know I'm going to be late somewhere. And I don't want my reputation of being timely threatened. So I get mad at the car. Or I'm in line, right, behind somebody at a fast food restaurant, and they're ordering their food, but they're not ordering their food. They're one of those people. They want to have a conversation with the person that they're ordering the food from, right? And 
what I used to be able to say years ago, before I was a pastor, I'd be like, hey, it's called fast food for a reason, bro. Now I can't, because I'll be like, hey, Pastor Matt, you don't mind, do I? Do you? I do mind, actually, but I won't say that right now. That's me. It's, it, that's a me problem. I didn't plan well. It's me. It's not their fault. It's my fault. Or kids. Kids are amazing at getting in at the right point and making you angry. Because in our brains, we have like the idyllic vision of our evening or a weekend or a vacation. And what are kids masters at doing? Destroying your idyllic vision of what's going to happen. And because you have that in you, you're like, oh! You got to identify what's happening in me. Why am I feeling this way? Anger very often reveals something that I love as being threatened. My ego, success, my image, my goals, my reputation, money, status, fun, whatever it is. Here's what James is saying. You can take that soil and actually get rid of it. You can control yourself because anger is an inside job. Let me give you two examples that I think prove you're stronger than you say. First one was from a book I read a number of years ago. It was on anger. And it was a therapist who had in this couple, very wealthy couple, and the dad was losing it with his son, his teenage son, just exploding on his son. The mom, wife was like, this can't keep happening. Let's go to therapy. They go to counseling. They're in counseling. And by the third session, the counselor had discovered something. This man loved money, loved money and had lots of it. So in that third session, he said this, I've solved your problem. I know how to keep you from losing your temper with your son ever again. And the guy's like, awesome, man. Tell me, I'll do anything. I'll do anything at all. He says, okay, here's what you do. Every time now, you lose your temper with your son. You pull out your checkbook and you write your wife a check for $4,500 and she can spend it any way she wants. A miracle happened that day. That man found he could control his temper. He was confronted with something that he loved even more. The second one is from my own life. So I have five children. They're awesome. My kids are amazing. I love them to death. But they're still children. And they have their moments. So I think it was about a year ago, one of my daughters was having a moment. And she was through the roof, nuclear, and we were trying to calm her down. Like, hey, come on, calm down. And she's like, I can't, I can't. Right? She would not calm down. She was just like, you know, open and upset. So we were like starting like, uh-oh. When another of my daughters came into the room and said this to her as she's just peeking out. She said, hey, I'll call the boy Bill, one of her friends that she liked. She goes, Bill is at the front door right now. That daughter just went, oh, really? Let me go get ready. <laughs> yeah. And then my daughter said, psych, not really. I was like, yeah, that was awesome. 
We give ourselves excuses. That's the riparian zone. Where we have these like things that we know we could actually control this, but we just don't want to. So we're giving ourselves latitude here. This latitude you wouldn't take with somebody else or some other situation or in front of that person, you wouldn't do it. So James says, you get rid of that dirt. Don't make excuses anymore. You have the power to control. But doesn't it just leave us of our own? Doesn't just say, okay, good luck with that. He says something else that is so brilliant and so right. He says, number two, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. There's a second power. It's the power of the implanted word. You get a brain implant if you would. Tired of eating sour grapes from losing your temper, from saying stupid things? James says you can receive a power of the word of God. But you have to receive it with meekness. Meekness means this. God, you're right, and I'm wrong. I'm not making excuses. I'm not making excuses for myself. I'm not going to rename it something else. You're right, I'm wrong. It's confessing that. The word confession in the Greek is a fascinating word. When it says confess in the Bible, it uses this word homo, which means the same. Legeo, which means language. Homo legeo. Confession is simply saying, God, you're right, and I'm not, and I'm agreeing with you. I'm going to speak the same language as what your word is saying. I'm not going to fight against it. I'm not going to make excuses for myself. I'm agreeing with you. It's allowing God's word to be implanted into you. So Psalm 119 verse 9 puts it like this, and I've memorized it, King James. This is ESV. How shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed to the word of God. How do we get that riparian zone changed it different? God's word implanted into us. I can't count the number of times that I've been sitting there thinking, I'm going to give this person a piece of my mind. And in that moment, verse 20 is brought to my mind. Matt, your anger, your peace of mind will not work my righteousness. Because I memorized back in 1997 in the school of ministry down in Mexico at an orphanage, we, as part of our curriculum, we had to memorize the entire book of James. And God now, that implanted word in me, is bringing it back to my mind. Matt, don't do it here. Keep your mouth shut. I don't always obey God's spirit. Sometimes I think I'm smarter than God. I haven't found that to be true yet, but I still will try. But there's been so many times that God's word has been brought to my mind in the midst of something where I've, okay, be quiet. Be quiet. It doesn't matter. Implant God's word and your soul gets saved. We need this so bad in our culture today. So many people sit behind screens and just lob these terrible words and this anger at people now. 
and just brings destruction. It does not work the righteousness of God. It doesn't. We're now this culture, I just call it a meistic culture. I made up that word. It's all about me. You get angry when the world is all about me. When you want everything to revolve around you, you will be frustrated and angry. And the church is now falling into this. It's all about you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, God has a wonderful plan for the world and for the person sitting next to you as well. So it starts to just get so me-centered. I have an article at home. It's actually a magazine. The whole magazine was this. And I kept it just because it grieved me so much. It was sent to me for whatever reason. But the article, the entire thing was about how as Christian leaders, you can market yourself. How to get your name out there. How to get people to recognize who you are. How to use social media. How to use podcasting. How to use whatever to get your name out there. And I remember as I'm reading it, I thought, this is crazy. Because my name doesn't matter. Standing before God on that day, speaking the name of Matt Heverly will not help you. In fact, it might actually hurt you. There's one name that I should be marketing. There's one name that I should be getting out there. There's only one name under heaven by which men shall be saved. At his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the name I'm going to market. But now the, the meistic thing of our culture, like what's in it for me? What's this going to do for me? How's this going to help me? has crept into even the church culture. So what James is saying is so brilliant. He's saying, it's not about you. It's not about you making your point and getting people to listen to you. It's not about that. In fact, it's the opposite. It's about you not making your point and listening to somebody else. And you'll find you won't get angry. Your marriage, husbands, it's not about you. When you get that, you'll enjoy your wife so much more. She's not your slave. She's not there to make much of you. It's not about you. Your kids, mom, dad, are not there for you. You'll enjoy your kids so much more. When you stop trying to make them be about you, represent whatever it is, it's not about you. You'll find you're much less likely to get frustrated or get angry at a situation if it's not about you. Ah, doesn't matter. If you don't need to make your point, if you don't need to make people see your side of things, you'll find, man, I don't get, in, I don't get mad. You're set free. James is saying, here's how you get set free. Allow this implanted word. The entire Bible is simply this. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and his kingdom coming in your heart and transforming you into a different kind of person. The implanted word. Do we believe that? I hope so. Because if you do, here's what happens. All of a sudden you start saying, I trust the Lord. In this situation about my reputation or about making my point or trying to get this across to somebody, I trust the Lord. That vengeance is his. 
he'll repay. That I won't be overcome of evil, but I'll overcome this evil with good instead. And something amazing happens to you. You don't get angry. You don't get frustrated. You're set free. You don't spend a thousand dollars on a two cent argument anymore. Get yourself all wrapped up into junk. You are set free. I'm going to give you one application. You want to drain the riparian zone? Here's my challenge to you. Memorize James chapter 1, verses 19, 20, and 21. Memorize those. Implant God's word in you. Give the Holy Spirit new soil to work with so a different fruit can be produced. So verse 19 comes naturally. Not you trying harder, it, you, you become the kind of person that's quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Not gritted teeth, I'm going to do this. It just happens to you supernaturally. Try it. Try it. Best advice, maybe in the entire book of James, verses 19, 20, and 21. It will give you a joyful, wise life. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. So Jesus, help us this day. As we go to the table, each one of us recognizes the words that we have spoken, the tempers that we have lost, and how it has damaged not only us, but people we love. So we come as beggars looking for bread. We come as the broken looking for healing. May we find that at your table today, we pray. And we ask this in your name. Amen.